Today, it's just not enough to pick a few quality initiatives to work on each year and then hope for the best. Complex systems like hospitals need a comprehensive approach, an interlinked series of people, programs, and analytics to consistently improve and sustain quality. Welcome to Modern Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality at Vizian and Practicing Internist. And I have Dr. Rick May and Todd Baker returning to discuss comprehensive quality transformation. Rick and Todd, glad you can join us again. Tom, it is always such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much. Great to be here. So Rick, tell us a little bit about your background and your current role here at Vizian. So Tom, the short version is I'm a recovered data geek turned orthopedic trauma surgeon. That was kind of my short career summary right there. Worked for more than 20 years in Denver doing orthopedic trauma surgery and then started doing consulting work about 15 years ago, primarily in clinical quality improvement. And now I head up the Vizian clinical quality improvement consulting team. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. How about you, Todd? Thanks, Tom. I've been consulting for about 25 years in healthcare focused on cost containment and quality improvement. And I work with Rick and our quality improvement team leading some of our national scorecard and quality improvement projects. So gentlemen, let's get down to basics here. There's lots of quality metrics. We're recovering from a pandemic and we're actually still having a surge of super sick people coming to our facilities now because they weren't addressing their chronic diseases. So can you explain what you mean by a comprehensive clinical quality optimization program? Or what do we mean by optimization? Where the leadership of hospitals is today, with so many things going on, all this that was happening before the pandemic, and then there's this huge piling on of additional stuff since then. What we find we're talking to hospital leaders today is that they are just overwhelmed. There are so many different choices that they have to make on a regular basis, so many decisions they have to make about where they're going to allocate resources. And when it comes to quality in particular, if you think about it, there are dozens, scores, hundreds potentially of specific quality areas you could be working on, and no hospital has the resources to do that. So, really, the idea behind this comprehensive quality transformation came from a lot of those conversations with hospitals just saying, hey, listen, do you have something? Can you help us go through, look at everything we're doing today, everything maybe we're not doing today we should be, and help us prioritize amongst those, find some logical way to think about how do we decide, yes, we're going to work on central line infections, but no, we're not going to work on falls, for example. And then also beyond that, not just pick the right stuff to work on, but help us understand what those choices will mean in terms of future performance, how does that position us in our market? That's This whole work is really in response to that request from our members. Yeah. And th- what I would add to that, just that sustaining those improvements is an equal challenge. And I think that that's an important factor in thinking about quality transformation is just how do you identify the opportunities, but how do you maintain your success and maintain your momentum for a long period of time? Yeah. And I guess for many of our organizations, particularly since the effects of the surge, it's pretty much been sustainability is the issue. Two years is a long time. So many processes that they had before are just gone and quite frankly, forgotten. Yeah. And how many times have you seen an initiative that has all kinds of support and real tremendous momentum for six months or a year just peter out after a year when somebody leaves or there's another priority or they have a financial challenge? Those happen continuously and those are real big challenges to sustain quality improvement. So why does an organization need to succeed in this process? I mean, what exactly is at stake here? Let me jump in and talk about that one a little bit. And it's interesting. We talk about kind of all roads lead, well, whatever the metaphor, all the roads lead to quality or lead from quality, I guess, how you want to look at it. But if you think about how critical quality is in terms of hospitals overall success, I mean, obviously, clearly quality is critical to our patients to drive better care, to really get great outcomes from our patients. But beyond that, so much else is tied to it. I mean, improve financial performance in terms of decreased costs and improve margins, even things like length of stay and readmissions, that's all really impacted by quality. Position alignment. We talk about the fact that if you really want to engage your providers, you need to focus on the reasons that they get up in the morning, what makes them come to work, what excites them kind of about the work that they do. 
when you want to talk about really, if you drive quality, it also requires you to improve the efficiency of your systems, right? So better care means less wasted effort. Even think about it in terms of staffing, like critically important issue this day with nurses. Nurses and staff, just like the physicians, they want to work in a great environment. They want to receive work in a place where they feel like, wow, we're providing great care. And there's other reasons as well, but these are sort of the key pieces we talk about. Quality is kind of the great impactor, the great fixer, the holy grail, as it were, in terms of really driving improvement in a hospital. Yeah, I would add to that that if you look at how the market's evolving, CMS launched penalties around quality, trying to incentivize to a certain degree quality performance at a very high level. And, you know, they're barely dipping their toe into most of the volume that Medicare pays for in hospitals. However, that was kind of that shot over the bow, if you will, just to try and incentivize quality from a governmental level. And they started that in 2013. And since then, you've seen many more ACOs and shared savings kinds of programs coming from the government and also private payers. And I think more and more quality is a potential differentiator in the markets and a potential area of meeting a payer potentially halfway or even creating leverage with a payer in your own market if you have the best quality. So I think you guys are bringing up a very good point here in the sense of the ROI and quality. Our quality leads totally get it, but they're having difficulty engaging or translating that to the CFO or to the COO or even to the CEO. So what we're saying is that many of these quality initiatives, whether it be length of stay, decreasing infection, all that actually leads to higher costs per se and actually is an opportunity, if you will, to actually improve even on revenue. In staffing, which is pretty much the highest cost for most organizations at this moment. Yeah, you know what, Tom, a really interesting evolution, if you will, in the last year or two is around readmissions. If you do the fee-for-service math, hospitals make money on readmissions. Right. And in years past, when we've had conversations about readmissions, that's kind of gets pushed aside, typically maybe in the CFO office, because that is going to potentially be a revenue impact. Mm -hmm. But what we're finding more and more with the challenges in staffing, nursing, throughput, freeing up beds, the ROI becomes much more apparent in reducing those readmission rates. And so that you get this synergy between improving quality and providing better outcomes for the patient, but there's also this increased ROI associated with readmissions. So again, an example of kind of changing times and different priorities that are leading to some of the quality improvement efforts that we see. Often an organization will treat quality initiatives as, well, a flavor of the month. How have organizations fallen short? Wow, that is a great question. And I think as Todd alluded to earlier, one of the things we see so consistently is exactly what you described, Tom, is like somebody says, wow, we got a problem in fill in the blank. We got a problem with sepsis. We got a problem with infection. We got a problem with mortality, whatever else. And there's this, right, this all of a sudden this fire drill, lots of intensity, lots of resources. Go, go, go. Let's get this fixed. And the challenge we see is that it doesn't sustain, right? I mean, as Todd was describing, you go out and you put a lot of effort into it. And, and like you might imagine, by applying resources consistently, you can really move the dots a lot of times. But then the attention sort of wanes and things, people say, well, we got this one figured out, check it off the box and go to the next one. And things backslide. That's just a consistent problem we see all the time. And so we talk a lot about with hospitals, it's about more than just saying, hey, let's look what's sort of on fire today and go put that out. Let's take a step back and really talk and think about basically how does quality become sort of an integral part of everything we do every day, but think about broad-based, how are we going to transform, not just, hey, I'm going to work on infections this month, but how we think about transferring an organization to become a group of people that can really consistently drive quality over the long term, drive and sustain it. So what are the infrastructure pieces we need to make that happen? So describe the challenges these organizations are actually facing then. Multiple challenges they face, of course. Right now, first and foremost, is finding enough staff is a really substantial challenge, which is why I alluded to efficiencies and throughputs that actually can come through quality improvement that are really critical to sustain organizations these days. 
I think Rick talked about it earlier. There's just a massive amount of data available to them. So they're overwhelmed. They don't know where to focus, where to start, where the priorities may be, and what really moves the needle in many of these areas. And what we've already talked to in terms of sustaining changes and managing the physicians, all of it, again, it's just a substantial pile of information that continues to build up on all the executives that are responsible for quality improvement in the organization. Gentlemen, are we putting more emphasis on the lagging metrics and really not putting much effort on these leading metrics that kind of make sense and leads to early wins? Short answer, Tom, is yes, we are. I think one of the dangers, the risk in some ways is to say, wow, we've got CMS looking at us. We've got US News. We've got all these other entities out there that are reporting on us. And so, man, we got to get our arms around that. But when you think about the time frame, the scale, right? I mean, the current 2021 CMS metrics, the new ones are being published this month, but the 2021 regs, for example, the data is going back to 2016 in some cases. Right. So to work with your staff and say, hey, listen, we want you to come together this month and work on something like our heart failure mortality. And just so you know, you're not going to really see much come out of that until about 2026. Very unsatisfying for nurses, physicians, the entire team involved. And that's just, I think people have sort of, when it comes out publicly, they say, oh, we got to focus on that. But I think it's critical. You have to think about sort of the human factor involved in this. The leading indicators are critical. It's, it's so hard to say, yeah, work toward a goal we're not going to see for four years. It's much easier to sit down and say, listen, we need to understand really how the math of this work, how the analytics need to work to show us that the improvements we make today, the improvement in terms of decreasing mortality today, decreasing infections today, this month, that's part of this bigger, broader process to kind of get us to the end. And that's why the leading indicators are critical. You've got to have ones that are easy to understand, that people can really have some power over this, one of the critical pieces that they actually can move. And then you got to reward them, right? You got to be able to say, celebrate, when, hey, we had a great month or a great quarter, we drove down our mortalities or our readmissions, our infections down to the levels we needed to be. And the fact that we haven't seen a change in CMS, that's okay, because by focusing on those leading indicators, we know we're on track. We know we're going to ultimately, if we continue to do this the same way we have, we're going to get to our ultimate goal. But from a psychological standpoint, you have to focus on what you can do today, what people can get their hands on and actually make a change on today to really drive the longer outcomes. Rick, Todd, thanks for this discussion. And we'll continue it on our next episode. And to our listeners, you can contact Rick and Todd at their email addresses in the resource section of our podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me at our email, modernpracticepodcast.com. We've also posted a link in our resource section. And please join us for other Modern Practice Podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. I'm Dr. Tom Bullenweba. Thank you so much for listening.